Tonight's readings from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everybody. If I can add my own welcome to that that Adam gave. My name is Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. A particularly warm welcome to anybody who's here the first time. And I'll add my apology for the fact that actually the temperature isn't that warm. We're going to pray that the Lord will speak to us and we'll pray for some divine heating uh, along the way that he would warm our hearts and our bodies as he speaks to us. Lord Jesus, we bow in your presence. You are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We praise you that one day you will return and your light will dispel all the darkness. And we look forward to that great day. As we wait for it, send your spirit on us now. Take the words I've prepared, breathe your life into them. Speak to us through your word in the scriptures. And we pray too that you would watch over the physical temperature in here uh, for the rest of the service too. And enable us to concentrate on you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Advent Sunday. Uh, Advent is a season when we lift our eyes above all the stuff that's going on in the here and now to the fact that the Lord will return one day. Uh, as the Christmas rush comes on and we celebrate Jesus' coming the first time, uh, today is a day to lift our eyes and look ahead to when Jesus will come again the second time. Uh, I used to quite like doing assemblies at primary schools and uh, at Advent uh, I'd always ask them who knows what Advent means and all the hands will go up in the air before the children really thought because uh, they recognise the word and you get some answers does it mean calendar does it mean countdown to Christmas those who have really posh calendars does it mean chocolate uh, and eventually you have to ask a teacher unless there's a real clever child there who knows that the word Advent means coming. The best answer ever given at a primary school I came across was, is it something to do with adventure? That's a brilliant answer, because we're part of the great adventure of Jesus Christ, who came the first time and will come again the second time. But they get the fact that Advent means coming. I then say, well, who is it that's coming? And all the hands would shoot up again. And you'd pick on a child who'd say, 
grandpa's coming. <laughs> or try another one, and they'd go, Santa's coming. And I said, eventually we'd get to the point that Jesus is coming. And in this season, when we're so tempted, just in the hustle and bustle and pressure of the season, to focus on the here and now, we lift our eyes to the fact that Jesus is coming back. Uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, the writer of the Hebrews tells us that faith is looking up and looking forward. Confidence in what we hope for, that's looking forward, and assurance about what we don't see, that's looking up. And last week we were celebrating the feast of Christ the King. We look up at Jesus reigning in glory. Today we look forward to when he will come again. And I want to focus the preaching on one particular phrase of what will happen when he comes again. Uh, this comes in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. If we can pop that up. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things. And that's the phrase I want to focus, focus on, the renewal of all things. We're going to do a bit of a tour of lots of bits of the Bible as we focus in on what this means. But supremely, when Jesus returns, everything will be renewed. It's just a throwaway line here. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He says, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times that in the age to come and inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying that whatever we've laid down for him will be gloriously restored and everything will be renewed. Uh, now, I don't always mention Greek words in the preaching. In fact, it's relatively rare, but I did it last week and I'm going to do it again this week. Last week, I shared my favorite Greek word of all, which is the word hilarion, uh, for which we know means hilarious or cheerful in the context of laying our money before the Lord. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver. Thank you to all of those of you who've re-looked at your giving. Uh, if you're a visitor here, don't worry about this. This is speaking to the regulars among us. Folks in our church family, we all give in order to enable the ministry of the church to happen. If you haven't got around to that, please do, but freely and cheerfully, hilariously, my favourite Greek word. Uh, but a Greek word I had forgotten uh, is the word, can we just go back to verse 28, please, Andy, here, Matthew 19, verse 28, the first of those slides, where it says, at the renewal of all things. One Greek word is behind that it's the Greek word palingonesia and I don't expect many of you to remember that uh, one or two of you will you'll tell me afterwards I've remembered it palin means again genesia the word genesis the where it's about beginnings first book of the bible is beginnings and creation so palingonesia again a creation and this is translated in various ways I've been doing a bit of homework into how it's translated in the scriptures and in other uh, works from the time uh, one of the translations talks about at the recreation of the world. One of them says when the world is made new. The NIV we have has this at the renewal of all things. And it's hard to get our heads around what that will be. But there is so much evil and pain and darkness and grief in our world. Many of you will have experienced more than your fair share of difficult stuff going on. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world have terrible suffering. And there is this promise that one day everything will be renewed. Everything will be renewed. And throughout the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, we have the Lord's people encouraged to look ahead to that great day. 
uh, St. Peter preaching in Acts chapter 3. Uh, this is Acts 3, 19 to 21. This is just after the crippled man has been healed and he's come into the temple bouncing and leaping and praising and Peter's preaching. And Peter says this in his sermon to the crowd that gather. Repent then and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that's now. And then looking forward, that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. Very like that phrase Jesus used, the renewal of all things. The time will come for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And this is what we're thinking about at Advent. We're looking forward to the time when everything is renewed and everything is restored. It's truly wonderful, this promise. All of us have bits in us that are broken, things that are lost, uh, sadnesses, and they will all be restored and renewed uh, the sense of this Palingonesia word is that things will be restored to how they're meant to be. Nothing in this world is ever as good as it's meant to be. You know, I mean, we head for Christmas. We all want the Christmas to be the best it will ever be. Uh, we always have family rows, don't we, at Christmas, and there's things that come cooped up together. Um, it can be pretty good, but it's never ultimately good. There's, we're looking ahead to when Jesus returns and everything is perfectly restored. St. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, reading from verse 18. If we can put Romans 8, 18 up next. There we go. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we're, lift, we're encouraged to lift our eyes, to look ahead above the present difficulties. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. There's something about the whole creation that when Adam and Eve rebelled, creation went into decay as well. And the creation is waiting for when Jesus will return and we will be restored and creation will be restored altogether. Paul says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, uh, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, now we look forward and we're frustrated. All of us have things that are not right, bits that are broken. Uh, the world has so much that's not right, but we're looking forward. And this is what gives us hope. For in this hope, Paul says, verse 24, we were saved. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. We look forward to the time when Jesus will return. And the New Testament rings with this promise that Jesus will return and everything will be renewed. Everything will be restored. And it picks up on promises of old. Uh, I'm going to read to you a couple of promises from the Old Testament, from Isaiah, that look ahead to this great day. First of all, Isaiah 65, 17 and 18. God says, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Everything will be renewed. Isaiah 60, 19 to 20. 
the sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. A glorious future with the Lord. New heavens, new earth, everything created. Your days of sorrow will end. Particularly to anyone here tonight that is weighed down with sorrow. This wonderful promise that there will be no more sorrow when the Lord returns. And it's these promises that were picked up in the reading from Revelation 21 that Rich read to us earlier. Let's just read some of those words again. Revelation 21, 1 to 5. John the Apostle says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, picking up on those words of Isaiah. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with him and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's not that he's making a whole lot of new things. He's taking everything there is, the whole creation, and renewing it, making it as good as new, better uh, than it ever was at the beginning. Uh, And these pictures are picked up uh, in Revelation chapter 22. It goes on a bit later. We've got, and I think we've got verses from Revelation 21, verse 22. Uh, John has this vision of the new city, Jerusalem. There's no temple there because the Lord God is the temple. God is there in the city, coming down on earth with his people. And then Revelation chapter 22. I didn't see a temple. Oh, there we go. The Lord God Almighty in the Lamerit's temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. And if we go on. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they'll reign forever. John is trying to describe what's almost indescribable. Heaven comes down to earth. It's all newly restored. It's both a garden and a city with the best of both, a sort of celestial garden city. Uh, picking up on so much imagery, but it's totally restored. The idea is that God does for the whole of creation and for us what he did for Jesus at the resurrection. Totally made new, recognizably Jesus, and yet gloriously new. Now, it is so hard for us to get our heads around it that often we stop trying and we just focus on what's going on here and now and we get bogged down with it. The Bible knows it's hard for us to get our heads around it. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. We just can't imagine what it will be like. But God reveals them to us by his spirit. He puts something in us, stirring for when the world is renewed and made perfect. And we will be made new. John, in his old age, wrote in 1 John chapter 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we're children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we'll see him as he is. We will be like Jesus. The best guess is like Jesus' resurrection body, recognizably him, he could eat and he could drink, but he could pass through walls. We don't quite know how it'll all work out, but it will be glorious. Now, the things that have most helped me to get a, a sense of feeling what this will be like have been the writings of C.S. Lewis. As a boy, I read the Narnia books, and I reread them from time to time. If you've never read the Narnia stories, read them. Uh, give them to yourself for Christmas. If nobody will ask, put them on your Christmas list. Uh, if you've got children or grandchildren, get them for them. Read them together. C.S. Lewis, in these fantastic stories, paints pictures uh, full of good theology. Aslan, the Christ figure, who gives his life for the children. There's a depiction of the creation of the world. There's a depiction of the end of the world and how glorious the new creation could be. Uh, there's another book he wrote called The Great Divorce, which is a terrible title for the book because it's got nothing to do with marriage and divorce. It's about the divorce between heaven and hell, how all that is wrong is removed into hell and cut out from the glorious new heaven and earth that God is preparing. And C.S. Lewis describes like a dream how the new heaven and earth can be more real and more substantial than what we see uh, and feel around us. It's fantastic picture language. And uh, I find stirrings of it, of it in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, when, when the battle is done, uh, when the ring is destroyed, when Sam and Frodo are rescued and brought back into this glorious elven kingdom. Uh, I'm going to read to you some, a few bits of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, there's a, I've been reading, uh, uh, all the quotes are going to come from this book, John Eldridge, All Things New, which is taking this theme of at the renewal of all things, at the restoration of all things. And he describes lots of picture language of what this will be like. And we need this picture language because it's hard to think ourselves into it. Uh, but I rather like Frodo's companion, Sam Gamgee, very simple Sam, faithful, reliable. Uh, when it's all over, and there he is, safe at last, and Gandalf appears, who he thought was dead. He says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer is yes. That is the picture when Jesus returns. Everything sad will become untrue. No more death, no more pain, no more mourning. He goes on, what's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he hadn't heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment, for days upon days without count. It fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he'd ever known. That is a wonderful picture, isn't it? When all that's wrong is gone, what's left will be joy. And it's this fantastic picture. Uh, now, a few, uh, a few examples from, from um, C.S. Lewis and Narnia. This one is from The Last Battle. The Last Battle describes how the time when Narnia ends uh, and there's this great separation. All who love Aslan come into the new creation. 
or who hate Aslan turn aside, excluding themselves from it. And as they come into the new creation, C.S. Lewis is trying to describe how it could be so much better than the old one. Uh, Let me read to you. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and cried, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason we loved the old Narnia was it sometimes looked a bit like this. Come further up, come further in. He shook his mane and sprang forward into a great gallop, a unicorn's gallop, which in our world would have carried him out of sight in a few moments. But now a strange thing happened. Everyone else began to run, and they found to their astonishment they could keep up with him. The air flew in their faces as if they were driving fast in a car without a windscreen. The country flew past as if they were seeing it from the windows of a train. Faster and faster they raced. But no one got hot or tired or out of breath. If one could run without getting tired, I don't think one would want to do anything else. So they ran faster and faster, till it was more like flying than running. And even the eagle overhead was going no faster than they were. And they went through winding valley after winding valley, and up the steep sides of hills, and faster than ever down the other sides, following the river and sometimes crossing it, and skimming across mountain lakes as if they were living speedboats. It's a glorious picture. I remember reading these as a boy, and something stirring in me of how much more wonderful the new creation could be. And it's not just the new creation, it's that we ourselves are made new. Unless we're fortunate enough to be alive when Jesus returns, we will all experience death. And we will be made new the other side of death. There's a lovely picture of that in another of the Narnia books, The Silver Chair. Some of you may know the series. There's a book, Prince Caspian, And then the silver chair is when Prince Caspian is an old man, King Caspian. Different children go into Narnia, Eustace and Jill. And Caspian, the old king, dies and goes off to Aslan's country. And at the end of the book, Eustace and Jill are caught up in Aslan's country and they can still hear the funeral music. They were walking beside the stream and the great lion went before them. He became so beautiful and the music so despairing that Jill did not know which of them it was that had filled her eyes with tears. Then Aslan stopped and the children looked into the stream and there on the golden gravel of the bed of the stream lay King Caspian, dead, with the water flowing over him like liquid glass. His long white beard swayed in it like water weed. And all three stood and wept, even the lion wept, great lion tears, each tear more precious than the earth would be if it was a single diamond. Son of Adam, said Aslan, go into the thicket and pluck the thorn that you will find there and bring it to me. Eustace obeyed. The thorn was a foot long and sharp as a rapier. Drive it into my paw, son of Adam, said Aslan, holding up his right forepaw and spreading out the great pad towards Eustace. Must I, said Eustace. Yes, said Aslan. Then Eustace set his teeth and drove the thorn into the lion's pad. And there came out a great drop of blood, redder than all the redness you've ever seen or imagined. And it splashed into the stream over the dead body of the king. At that same moment, the doleful music stopped and the dead king began to be changed. His white beard turned to grey and from grey to yellow and it got shorter and vanished altogether and his sunken cheeks grew round and fresh and the wrinkles were smoothed and his eyes opened and his eyes and lips both laughed and suddenly he stood up and leapt up and stood before them, a very young man. 
And he rushed to Aslan and flung his arms as far as they'd go round the huge neck. And he gave Aslan the strong kisses of a king. And Aslan gave him the wild kisses of a lion. A glorious picture of how we're renewed. And then C.S. Lewis goes on to describe how Eustace struggles to come to terms with this. At last, Caspian turned to the others. He gave a great laugh of astonished joy. Why, Eustace, he said. Eustace, so you did reach the end of the world after all. Eustace made a step towards him with both hands held out. But then he drew back, looking somewhat startled. Uh, Look here, I say, he stammered. It's all very well, but aren't you, I mean, didn't you? Oh, don't be such an ass, said Caspian. But said Eustace, looking at Aslan, hasn't he uh, died? Yes, said Aslan, in a quiet voice, almost as if he was laughing. He has died. Most people have, you know. Even I have. There are very few who haven't. I love that. Thinking of all the great saints down the years who've all died and now restored by the Lord Jesus, who himself died and is restored. Uh, these stories are fantastic pictures to help, help us feel the truth in the scriptures that one day everything will be renewed. You will be, I will be, the whole of creation will be. So when will it happen? It will be when Jesus comes again. All the way through the New Testament, 300 references to this. And we are expected to look forward to it eagerly. In our comfortable age, we tend just to focus on trying to make things comfortable now. But full-blooded New Testament Christianity is sitting light to the things of this age and looking forward to what is more wonderful when Jesus will return. A few verses to give you an idea of this. 1 Peter 1.13 With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. It's a determined looking forward to that. 1 Corinthians 1.7 As you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Eagerly wait. I think I've been waiting. I'm not sure how eager I've been. And I love Advent because it reminds me to look forward to this eagerly. Philippians 3 verse 20, the same phrase, we eagerly await a saviour from there, from heaven where our citizenship is, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look forward eagerly to when Jesus will return. Now we don't know when that will be. In Acts after the resurrection, Jesus is talking with his disciples. He must have used this phrase, the renewal of all things from time to time. And they ask him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? This is Acts chapter 1 from verse 6. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. You won't know when. You won't know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. We don't know when it will be, but it will come as sure as the resurrection. And Jesus tells us to be ready. Matthew 24, 44, Jesus says, you also must be ready. The Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. Be glorious if it was tonight, but it may not be in any of our lifetimes. We just don't know. But he will come again. Now, the early Christians began to get a bit worried as the 
Jesus' coming again seemed to be delayed, as people started dying. What happens to them? Are they going to miss out when Jesus comes again? And St. Paul addresses that in 1 Thessalonians 4 from verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Uh, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Sleep. The picture of when we die is that we are asleep with the Lord. We're caught up in somehow in the worship of heaven, asleep, waiting for the great day when Jesus will come again and the whole of creation will be restored and we will be fully restored. When I was growing up, I used to think that we live this life and then we go off to heaven and it's, it feels all a bit spiritual. Couldn't get my head around it. But the Biblical hope is that we will live eternally in a recreated earth and heaven with God come down to earth. And being caught up in heaven is just what happens while we wait for Jesus to return. It's described as sleep at the renewal of all things. Uh, Let's carry on with 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Caught up in the clouds with the Lord as he comes. We don't stay there in the clouds. The sort of idea of sitting on a cloud plucking a harp is utter nonsense. The Bible doesn't know anything of that. It's we're caught up together with the Lord as he comes, as the world is recreated. And then we live with him in the new heaven and new earth. It will be utterly wonderful. There is, though, a part of it that will not be wonderful. And that is for those who've turned their back on Jesus. Uh, I so wanted just to read the really nice verses from Revelation 21, 1 to 5. But it's really important that we recognize there is a judgment. Not everybody is going to be there. Revelation 21, 6 to 8, that Rich read to us, says this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I'll be their God and they'll be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the fiery lake that's prepared for the devil and the fallen angels. It's a tragedy that any human beings will wind up there. Those who turn their back on God, those who refuse God's forgiveness and salvation. None of us deserve to be in this new creation, but we're forgiven because of what Jesus has done. It's a free gift. Tragically, many turn their back on it. But that is why Christianity is a missionary religion. That is why in our discipleship of Jesus, we want to be more missional to help more people know. We have glorious good news. We'll be telling it at carol services and so on for the next month. But we have great news. This tremendous hope that everything will be renewed, that everything will be restored. And you can be part of that. But you have to choose. God gives us the dignity of choosing one way or the other. It is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was preaching in Athens, Acts 17, verse 31. 
He said, God has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed and give him proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And the question is, so why hasn't it come yet? Why hasn't that day come? Well, Peter, in his old age, wrote this, 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord's outside time. Well, we think it's 2,000 years, or it is since Jesus rose again. With the, for the Lord, that's just a couple of days. The Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If you've come to faith in Jesus over the last couple of years, praise God he didn't come five years ago. If you are finding your way to Jesus, that is wonderful good news. He will welcome you with open arms. But thank the Lord he hasn't returned yet. He's given you time. God is patient and wants more to come. Uh, but that day will assuredly come. We don't know when. I uh, often describe it as a bit like driving on a family car journey with the children on the back seat going, are we nearly there yet? We used to go on holiday to Devon quite a lot. And uh, we'd say to the children, it's a long journey. So you listen to your stories on your Walkmans or whatever it was, or read your books or whatever. And that they'd say, are we nearly there yet? So often. And they'd say, how long is it? Well, it's about as long as it takes to watch Peter Pan twice. <laughs> sort of weird. So, and they couldn't get their head around it. Eventually, you just say, look, you get on with what you're meant to be doing, and we'll get there when we get there. From the Lord's perspective, we don't know when it's going to come. We're to get on with what we're meant to be doing. Tony Campolo, when he was asked when it would happen, said, I'm not on the planning committee, I'm on the welcoming committee. And our job is to be ready for when Jesus returns. So Jesus told three parables about this, the wise and foolish bridesmaids, the talents, the sheep and the goats. Like the wise bridesmaids, we're to be ready with our oil lamps full of oil. How many of you in primary school used to sing, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning? I'm not sure they still do that. It needs a rewrite, but it's a shame if it's not sung anymore. Because we need the oil of God's spirit to fire us, to keep burning until the great day comes. We're to use our talents that Jesus has given us, not to bury them, but to offer them in his service. Uh, we're to care for those in need, like Jesus taught us, especially those of Jesus, his brothers and sisters, but the whole, uh, his great family, but the whole of creation. We store up treasure in heaven. We don't hoard it here on earth. We eagerly look forward to that great day. We encourage one another. Uh, I could go on longer, but it's quite long enough and it's a cold evening. You've sat very patiently. So why don't you stand and we'll pray together. And if the band would come back, we'll sing again in a moment. And just in the stillness, will you fix your mind on this phrase, the renewal of all things or the restoration of all things? Lord Jesus, we look forward to that great day. You know there's so much in us that is damaged and broken. And we praise you that we will be fully restored. There's so much that's so wrong in our world. And we praise you that we'll be totally renewed, restored. And while we can't imagine what it will be like, we pray that you would so send your spirit on us that you put a deep longing deep within us for that great day when Jesus will come. And through the words of scripture, through the stories of C.S. Lewis, or however it is, will you grow this within us? We pray, come Holy Spirit now and minister to us. Let's take a moment in the quietness just to cry out to the Lord, to 
put in you a longing for that great day to help you know that you will be fully renewed and restored. That our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed.